When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Not a problem. Dennis sounds like a bundle of fun. <laughs> Look, Dennis has come off the top rope. Let's not kid ourselves. He's he's really laying into it. Um, but, Jacob, I've got to ask you, mate, I'm watching the game last night. Firstly, how does it work for you? Like, you commentate the game. Do you stay in Wellington or do you fly back up and then and, and then go home and then you're back here this morning? How does it work with you? Um, I'm down in Wellington. Okay. So I, I go with Jason Pine. Oh, yes. Uh, we are in the commentary box uh, at Sky Stadium. Um, very fortunate to be pitch side in this age of remote commentary. Yes. Um, so we get to pick up the feeling in the ground, and boy, there was feeling last night. Oh. A decent crowd in, um, made David Dome very happy, and what they got to witness was truly a spectacle. Not necessarily the clash that we're expecting, mm. as it was diminished somewhat with the Tim Payne sending off, mm. but... There were plenty of moments to talk about and fireworks late. Oh, man, it's short. Well, that was it. This is the top of the table. And let's be honest, uh, Jacob, who would have thought we'd be saying top of the table clash, you know, in late January with the Phoenix? You know, come on. (laughs) No, this team is doing very well. And I don't think we can say they're continuing to surprise. Mm. This is what we have come to expect from Giancarlo Italiano's men. Early in the season, yes, we could say, well, they picked up a point at Amy Park against Melbourne Victory, and they had a hard-fought draw against Western Sydney Wanderers, but they are now a team that has set the pace in this competition for at least the last month, and then if you aggregate that with the periods before where they were at the top of the table, they are a side that is demonstrating confidence and form that we hope they'll be able to take into the end of the season. Oh, absolutely. And you, you said it yourself. Look, the, it was full of moments last night. Um, Tim Payne getting the red. Look, to be fair, I, you couldn't really argue with that red card, could you? No, no. And I think we would have picked it up earlier in the commentary box. Mm. But unfortunately, because of the ankle, Payne was heading away from us. A poor touch. He tried to rectify matters, but left his feet, caught uh, Zinedine Mashash above the ankle Mm. and under the current interpretation of the rules, that is a red card. So I was initially given it a yellow card, and I can understand that. Mm. But upon review, it was clearly a dangerous tackle. And poignantly, there was no argument from Tim Payne at the exit of the field. And I've got to give a lot of credit to the Wellington Phoenix fans. They gave him a standing ovation, realising that it was a momentary Mm. lapse of concentration from Payne. But he's been such a wonderful servant for the club, and and this season has been a vital weapon down the right-hand side for the Phoenix. Absolutely. And like you say, it it was right on the halftime. It changed everything for the second half. Did you – I mean, I'll be honest, I didn't know if we could hold. What was your thoughts? (laughs) Well, look, I think the Phoenix were unfortunate not to go ahead early doors. So they could have gone into Mm. the break having had a 1-0 lead because they were – Denied a penalty uh, early in the first half. Uh, for mine, it was a clear pull right. for, off a uh, poor defending by Adama Traore, and he pulled down Bojadar Kreya right in front of mm, goal. Mm. But equally, they could have been down. Yeah. Malupale, who was wonderful all night, 
had the ball go through him quite literally on the goal line That's and then right. tucked uh, one away, which was ruled out for offside. So a lot to talk about in that first half. But Giancarlo Italiano always has a plan. He is methodical and meticulous. Mm. And he would have prepared for the situation along with Adam Griffiths we saw from the Phoenix was a very clear plan. They were going to sit deep, mm. they were going to defend the castle, frustrate and wind down the clock, keep Melbourne Victory at arm's length for as long as possible, mm. and then going five to ten minutes, we were going to see a concentrated period of ambitious football where they were looked to release these young, energetic attackers, and that's exactly what we saw. So I think it was clear what the tactics were going to be at halftime, just a matter of how long the Phoenix could hold on for. Yeah, well, that, that's right. And it's interesting when you watch because, you know, the the man of the hour for the Phoenix lately has been Costa Barbarousas. Yet last night, I'm not saying he was quiet, but you didn't hear his name mentioned as much as you normally did? No, and I think that's because he was a targeted man. You heard Tony Popovich provide a glowing assessment of his season so far, and a lot of respect was given to the Wellington Phoenix's number seven. Over the course of the last rather the previous five games, he had scored eight goals and had two assists. So a man who was clearly in form. And when you come up against a very organised and experienced defensive unit in Melbourne victory, then I think that you're always going to have to, you're always going to be up against scarcity in terms of your chances. But when you go down to 10 men, um, that was going to be the dynamic of the game. And Costa wasn't going to be given the frequency of opportunity to break forward as we've come to expect from him in the second half because the Phoenix had that numerical disadvantage. Yeah, it's it's one of those things when I watch the game too. It's like they score and I'm thinking, okay, do how do we find the equaliser? We got the equaliser. Look, was that a, a penalty, Jacob, or, <laughs> or, 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 or not, not? It was one of the – it could have gone either way, couldn't it? Yeah, well, it's just touched on the way in which the Melbourne Victory scored first and foremost. So mm. it was a very fortuitous goal. It was a rather a scuffed shot from yes. Nishan Valupale, and it hit Connor Chapman, I think, instead of him getting it into the net. But it did expose a bit of a weakness that's come to bear for the Wellington Phoenix over the course of the last month or so. They do concede, concede goals from set pieces, and that was another example of that. Fast forward, mm. we're deep into stoppage time. Yeah. The Wellington Phoenix are trying to muster some sort of resolve and energy to attack Melbourne Victory. And Melbourne Victory kind of gave them the opportunity to off. And they thought a one goal margin was going to be enough for them to secure three points. And Phoenix seized upon that. Being old, um, Sam Sutton, who was introduced, mm. they gave a lot of energy. But it was the man um, that Wellington Phoenix have been utilising late on in games bringing to bear his pace and, and attempting to unlock defences um, through his energy and his industry. And that man is Oscar Van Hatton. Mm. Now, it was a lovely ball from being able to direct the ball, taking advantage of the narrow uh, back line, and call Jamie Gary out. If you're on the other side of the Tasman, if you're a Victorian, you'd say mm. simply that, Van Hattam was stretching for the ball. He beats Geria to it, but he's always on his way down. He's not maintaining his feet, mm. and there's no chance he's going to win back the ball. And there's an argument that he actually makes the contact with Jason Geria. However, for the Wellington Phoenix, I think you can quite rightly argue that Van Hattam beats Geria to the ball. It's on Geria to try and get there first, yeah, and yeah. he doesn't. In that circumstance, he takes the risk of the sort of contact that actually eventuated. So to that end... 
I think that's a free kick anywhere else on the field. When it's yeah. in the 18-yard box, obviously there's a heightened sense of urgency about ensuring you get the decision. Mm. But I can totally understand why, upon review, Daniel Alves pointed to the spot with mere seconds left on the clock. Yeah, and then of course, then there's the extra drama after that is, as you guys said in the commentary, we haven't had a penalty all season, and who takes the penalty? Is it the hot gun Costa Barbarousas, or is it the skipper Alex Rufa? Well, there are a couple of questions, and I, I forgot about the Costa um, raised them after the game in the post-match interview, and he said last season the Phoenix actually really struggled from 12 yards out. Oh. I'd forgotten about that. Hmm. Um, so I think he would have preferred to take it and um, a man in form you'd say he's got every right to he's got his confidence up and he would have actually broken a record for the Wellington Phoenix and having been the only player to score in six consecutive games wow. but the early indication immediately after the penalty was given Alex Rufa wandered up to the spot and wanted the ball mm. and that's totally fair he is the man that wears the armband he leads this team and in a moment where they had the opportunity to steal a point, to give the Wellington Phoenix fans, to give the Yellow Fever something to go home, um, uh, to, to, to go home and put a smile on their face and to start their weekends off in the correct manner. Mm. He wanted to be the man to do that. And once he started his run-up, there truly was no doubt that that ball was going into the back of the neck. He stroked it beyond Paul and then took off. <laughs> following in the footsteps of Paul Eiffel making his way down that far side stadium and celebrated in front of over 9,000 fans. Yeah, no, it was it was a wonderful celebration. He gave it the whole, this is our house. And yeah, I love that. And a great crowd as always. And you mentioned like this Phoenix team this year. Yeah, we've got the experienced players, you know, Costas and career best form. Um, but there's a lot of youth coming through and those young players are really shining. But to me, one of the young players who's shone the most, and I'm sure you'll back this up being a card-carrying member of the Goalkeepers Union, is... Alex Paulson, he has had a fantastic season. He has. And last night, um, I think he played an important role for the Saints because although they're a man down second, he still had the confidence to play out. Mm. And what that does is it provides the Phoenix with the opportunity to control at least a small portion of the game. They can release the pressure valve uh, for a period and they can ask them instead of the Phoenix trying to keep Melbourne victory at bay. Um, so for me, although it's probably not a sexy part of the game, it was a really important part last night. Again, we saw he's very confident under the high ball. He commanded in particular his six-yard box mm. um, from the dangerous delivery that was peppered on occasion from the likes of Garia and Traore as they made their way forward and tried to find some big timber um, in a white shirt for Melbourne victory. Um, but the other player that I would just note is Finn Sermon. I thought he had a tremendous game last night. It's yeah. very easy to forget that he's 20 years old. Mm -hmm. He's played every single minute for the Wellington Phoenix last night, and he was in command, along with Scott Wooden, of the space in front of Alex Paulson, and they marshaled their troops, um, but also were very combative in those one-on-one drills, and they allowed the Wellington Phoenix the opportunity to get back into the game by keeping... Melbourne victory to only one goal. Yeah, you're 100% right. A lot of those young players have really stood up. Um, let's be honest, though, um, Spoons, at the start of the season, most of us would have thought we'll be lucky to make the top six. Uh, what has been the difference maker for the Phoenix this year compared to last year? 
You know, I think it's a really interesting question. Um, and I, I push back slightly and say that as New Zealanders, I think we're often too insecure. We're looking for that marquee signing. We're looking for that overseas influence. Mm. In actual fact, we can be very confident about the players that we are producing. Previously, they've always had, we've always had great attitudes and players that have worked hard, but now we're combining technical ability with that mentality. This team, I think, is breaking the ice to a certain extent, not necessarily for themselves, the public that they are a team that they can get behind and importantly have confidence in our young players. What's the difference between this year and last? I think it's simply the way in which Giancarlo Italiano is approaching the game. Mm. Under Ufu Tale, the team was very structured. They were, in some senses, a very blunt but effective instrument at times. Mm. This season, the game's a lot more free-flowing and that's allowing the likes of Costa Barbarossa to bring his skill set to bear and his strength is utilising um, the game, catalyzing the game and cultivating opportunities for not only himself but for teammates in broken mm. And I think Giancarlo Italiano is coming to this as a freshness, with a freshness. It's the first time that he's a head coach and one of the, the key things that he is doing is empowering and emboldening, emboldening these younger players. Um, he's saying, I trust your skill set. I want you to get on the ball and importantly, I want you to entice onto us because we've got a plan and we're going to play direct through them and we're going to find the very dangerous being old, the very young and very dangerous being old and we're going to be able to attack teams. So I think it's probably the confidence that Italiano has in his players and the manner in which he prepares them Uh, and it's playing more to these players' strengths I would say than what we saw under uh, Tale. Yeah, I think you're 100% right on that too, Spoons. And look, a lot of people, myself included, this is rarefied air for the Phoenix. Do you think we can stay at the top tied with Melbourne for the rest of the season? Like, we'll be one and two, and then that's how the season will finish? <laughs> look, I think we're every chance, because we have set the pace um, so far. And uh, you don't win anything for being top at the halfway point. But mm. the Wellington Phoenix can take a lot of confidence from the form that they have accumulated. The other thing that plays into it this A-League competition perhaps isn't as strong as previous competitions. Mm. Um, Sydney FC have fallen off. You'd expect the likes of Perth or Brisbane to at least be in the conversation because they have traditionally been that kind of strong second-tier team. Mm. We haven't seen that so far this season. They're very much occupying that kind of mid-to-mid-lower block. So the Phoenix, I think, are not facing as rigorous competition, mm. but... That's been probably hypercritical because you can only play who you can play and whoever the Phoenix have had put in front of them so far this season, they have been fairly ruthless uh, with. It's important to remember that they're only, there's two losses. One against Newcastle where I think they got things wrong and they were punished for that. But outside of that, they've only really been behind or lost games uh, in the last 10 minutes against Sydney FC and that was self-inflicted. Outside of that, that have controlled or been ahead in every single game that they have played. So they have earned this top of the table status. And I think to your point, we can expect them to stay in the conversation, not just for the top six, but for the top spot 
towards the back end of the season. Yeah, great points, uh, Spoons. Hey, we've got a text in here from Rob. Uh, he says, the Phoenix seem to get a lot of airtime for a team that can't even uh, win the poor competition or even make the grand final. The A-League is simply a third-rate football competition. Talking to Sky Sport, uh, even the ratings are not very flash. That's from Rob. Your thoughts on that one, Spoons? I think that's a pretty harsh comment, to be perfectly honest, mm. I think. Um, it speaks to the way in which we view football in this country. And as I said, we don't necessarily have the confidence and, and the commitment to our local um, teams and players at the moment. And, yeah, I, I do agree that um, the A-League isn't a, a competition of note internationally, but I don't think we will ever be there. What's important is that we give young players the opportunities and we, we encourage them to be ambitious. And that's exactly what Giancarlo Italiano is doing and mm. David Dome is doing and Sean Gill are doing um, with these young Kiwi players that we are seeing. So get behind them. They're not going to be here forever. And make sure that you see them while they are here because we have had Safrit Singh come through this competition. Yep. Um, we've had Chris Wood and Marco Rojas come through our National League. And they are wonderful talents that you want to grab and you want to see before they go overseas. Yeah, 100%. I, I'm so with you on that one. Yeah, look, we we get so much football in New Zealand. We get the EPL and all that. So the competition is... Is, is harsh but I'm like you know, I love watching a local product uh, it might not be as good as but like you say um, Spoons it is a pathway and speaking of pathways there's this new um, Auckland team going to be in the A-League and the owner has already said it's going to be a pathway into possibly Bournemouth the other team he owns yeah exactly a more structured and more formalised pathway um, is fantastic and um, benefiting from the investment that Bill Folio has already put into football um, gives us a great advantage. And I think it's his commitment not only to the team, but to actually the club. And what I mean by that is he's not simply focusing on putting players on the park. It's where they're actually going to play as well. Mm. Being very vocal about football changing the dynamic, not only the sporting landscape in Auckland, but also that of the actual landscape with a downtown stadium proposed. And I'm sure conversations are really ramping up behind closed doors. I mean, we saw prior to Christmas that um, what seems to be one of a number of bids is being backed by rugby. So mm. it's great that there are options on the table um, because that, to me, indicates the conviction that people have about this project actually being off the ground. The other point that I would make, uh, and probably just going back to the comment that was made before about um, the state of football in this country, um, the Auckland team won't cannibalise the Wellington Phoenix. It'll amplify the opportunities for mm. New Zealand football. We've got a number of players playing in second-tier competitions uh, in Europe and also North America. So we will be able to bring those players home and allow them to play for the majority of them in their home city. And I think a really apt analogy is side of the Concords. A lot of these players have mm. had to go overseas to be successful and in their own markets, they are respected and they are um, perhaps uh, loved more than they are here. So um, having them come home and bring to bear the qualities that they do have, I think will be uh, a really special moment, not only for a number of these players, but it'll be something that's going to be repeated into the future as we continue products that are really intriguing for overseas competitions and teams. Yeah, that's a really interesting point you make because I was wondering too, you know, the, this team is going to be in the next season. Where do they get all the players from? Is it from Auckland City or is it, like you say, a combination of local players and these ones, like you said, which are in these overseas markets, which don't get much airtime here, but are obviously doing very well for themselves? 
Yeah, that's right. And um, I think Steve Corica in an interview recently said that they've already monitored and identified a number of um, really intriguing propositions in the National League. So mm. that pathway that you spoke about going up into the Premier League will also extend down into our local competition. Good. Um, and that's a really, really interesting statement because it's an Australian coach with an um, Australian and Irish general manager that mm. are prioritising local talent. And that's not something that has always occurred in New Zealand. Um, so got that kind of indication of where where things are going. But um, yeah, I, I'd expect them to be casting the net very wide and trying to understand not only who's available, but which players suit the profile of the team that they are looking to build. And also, I'm guessing for the first season, is the home is it going to be Mount Smart, the home ground for this new Auckland team? Yeah, again, I think um, there's a whole series of conversations that are happening, but um, I do believe that um, that was proposed as the initial home ground of the side. Um, it's conversations Mike Higgins and and Terry McFlynn are having on behalf of Steve Crocker where's the team going to train what colours are they going to have who's going to sponsor them Uh, what does our marketing department look like what do we indicate to our fans who are our fans these are all things that the team um, behind the scenes are having to answer and create a plan um, for Bill Foley to endorse to ensure that this club is ready to go and it's not far away now I think we're all of five months away for a contractual year actually coming online. It's, it's, like you say, there's all those things. still haven't even got a name, um, which I'm sure they'll release <laughs> at some stage. But also as well, um, Jacob, as you know, we have had Auckland teams before. They have not fared well. You know, the Kings and the Knights, you know, they, they did okay, but probably no more than that. Oh, no, absolutely. I think the Knights were poor, mm-hmm. um, and it was a failed start. Um, the the Kings before that, I think they went through periods where they were successful. You had some great players like Winton Rufa, Harry Nasser. Yes. Um, um, obviously wonderful servants to the game in this To kind of get to the crux of the question, what's different this time around? Mm. And I'd say there's three key ingredients. Resource. Bill Foley brings to bear a huge amount in terms of money, but also investing himself and his time into the football club. And he clearly loves New Zealand and he wants this to be successful. Um, the second part, so the kind of the 1A to, so the 1B to that kind of 1A is mm. the resource that he's putting in place. We are seeing sophisticated football operators being put in positions to govern this team. And that's important because that's the foundation for the success that we will hope to see on the field. The third part, and a lot of credit needs to be given to the likes of the Wellington Phoenix um, because they've put a lot of hard work uh, in over the course of a decade. And I would also say the people that have been ambitious ambitious locally, the likes of your Auckland United, your Birkenhead United, mm. um, and your OLA Academies down in Wellington, they have allowed our local high performance programs to get to a point of maturity so that the football industry in New Zealand, although perhaps not visible or somewhat underappreciated, has actually quietly gone about producing players that can go and play Champions League football, that can go and be the focal point of attacks and the likes of the Eris de Visa in Holland. And mm. what I'm talking about there is the likes of Marcus Staminich and Matt Garbett who have actually circumnavigated the A-League. So that's yeah. a credit to what we have produced in this country. And what I hope 
the Auckland team and the Wellington Phoenix will now create a formalised pathway for us to at least appreciate these players in the A-League before they do make that jump overseas. Yeah, absolutely right. And Jacob, before I let you go, mate, we've been talking um, about themed sporting pubs this morning because the news is the Warriors are going to open up their own um, themed pub, which is fantastic, possibly going to be called Up the Jars, uh, which is a fantastic name as well. Have you ever been, well, you must have been to a sports-themed pub somewhere around the world in your travels that that represented that team? And and where was it and who was it for? (laughs) Yeah, I um, I have been to a couple of theme pubs. I think the Americans do a, do a sports bar superbly. Lots of screens, mm. um, lots of people, uh, and a great atmosphere. But I don't think anything gets close to what you experience in Europe. Um, yeah. And my family are from Birkenhead, Merseyside, so uh, born and born as a red, I think is probably fair to say. Yeah. And you go to a couple of pubs over there, and I don't think they're Liverpool-themed, but they represent the fact that football communities um, sorry, football clubs are part of their communities. They are a collectively owned uh, entity. And um, you'll have people go to their pubs, you'll have people recalling stories about mm. the famous European nights. Um, they'll revel in the failures of the clubs because football fans love being miserable. <laughs> but more importantly, it's a chance to connect uh, on a, perhaps a micro level before you go and experience that macro collectivism uh, and get to be part of that cathedral that is Anfield. Oh, mate, look, you're speaking my language, um, Jacob. I was lucky enough to go to Liverpool in September last year to stay with an old friend. And I'm a Chelsea fan, but uh, I went to Anfield. And, man, you're right, that is a cathedral. It is amazing. Uh, And there was a pub we went to, which was one of those themed pubs called Taggies. It's about 200 metres from the ground. Just, mate, absolutely loved it. Just phenomenal. No, it's a very, very special place. And... Hopefully, hopefully we're in 18 months' time, 24 months' time. If we're not talking about ground being broken, we've got potentially a modular stadium and we're able to fill it and create an atmosphere with 10 to 15,000 fans. Mm. Um, and I think that is the key thing is that Sky Stadium was wonderful last night. The fans showed up and um, unfortunately it just it only appeared half full and um, they... The atmosphere becomes amplified if it's intimate. And that's the key thing that we need as a football community to grow something that is suitable for us. And then as we get more and more invested and get the scale, we build something bigger. Yeah, I'm with you on that one too, Jacob. Hey, Spoons, thank you so much for your time this morning. Really appreciate it. Enjoy the rest of your day, brother. Thank you very much. Have a good day, guys. You too. There you go. Jacob Spoonley with his thoughts um, on all things football. He really does know his stuff. And yeah, we were talking about um, themed pubs. If you've been to any, please let us know. We have got a couple of texts there as well, but we will get to those after this break.